Welcome to the Flourish Pack podcast with special guest Doris Turner. Hi, my name is Mae Whiteside and I'm the founder of Flourish Pack. Our mission and vision is to make sure that Black women are elevated and elected and given all the proper tools necessary to win a successful campaign. I am joined today by the awesome Doris Turner, who is the Sangamon County Chair. Doris? Good morning. How are you today? Great. Um, Please take this time to introduce as Alder Woman representing the Third Ward on Springfield City Council. Okay. Um, First, I want to thank you for the opportunity to join you today. And also thank you for your awesome work in your chosen profession where you are excelling in what is a traditionally male-dominated workforce, as well as in the political arena with the establishment of Flourish Pack. I see great things on the horizon for you and Flourish Pack, and I'm just really excited to be a part of that. So I currently serve as Springfield's Ward 3 Alderwoman, and uh, Springfield has term limits, so this is my third and last term, which I have dubbed my legacy term. And prior to serving on the city council, I served three terms on the Sangamon County Board. And my friends jokingly refer to me as the Michael Jordan of Springfield politics because I have two three-peats. So during my second term on the city council, I was appointed mayor pro tem, and I am the first woman and the first African-American to hold that position. Hi, Doris. This is Taylor. Um, And I wanted to ask, you know, you boast of being the first African-American to be elected chairwoman of the Sangamon County Democratic Party, which is amazing. And the first African-American to be elected to the executive board of the Illinois County Chairman's Association. Um, What is it like being a trailblazer in politics in this field? You know, um, you're right. I was I was elected chair of the Sangamon County Democratic Party in 2012 after serving as the first vice chair. And I was only the second woman to hold that position. And as you stated, the first African-American. And at, upon my election, I was only the second African-American Democratic County chair in Illinois and the first African-American woman to uh, be elected a county chair. So um I guess you could say I'm a trailblazer, but I really see that as my responsibility to build a space and opportunity for me to mentor and bring others along with me. I don't find any joy in being the only anything, and that's why I feel I have an obligation to be visible, vocal, and encouraging, and showing other Um, young African-American women that this is something that you can aspire to and exceed my benchmarks. When I was, I never thought uh, Democratic County Chairman was something that I could aspire to because I had never seen anyone who looked like me do that before. All of the county chairs that I had seen were older, white, affluent men. And so, um, you know, it was not something that I thought was within my realm of possibilities. And I don't want that to ever be a stumbling block for other young African-American women. I want them to be able to uh, think, see, and know that whatever they aspire to be is within their reach. Thank you.
Good morning. My name is Cameron Clanton. I'm a rising senior at Howard and the National Political Advocacy Intern for ForgePAC. Good morning. Question, good morning. <laughs> My question for you, Mrs. Turner, is what initially sparked your interest in politics? Is it a passion you've always had or did the interest come later on in life? You know, my journey into politics is was very non-traditional. I was never interested in politics. Um, I was always interested in volunteerism and community engagement. Uh, and I think I got that from my mother because she was always very active in um, in the community and, and in her church and volunteering. But I never saw myself in politics. And um, my husband was really involved. And I used to bemoan the fact that he was always away from home and you know that ended up being a lot of I'll just say lively discussions <laughs> and uh, but <laughs> it didn't change anything so you know I guess I so then I got to the point I said well if you can't beat them join them and and that's what I did so now here I am you know here I am now but um, during that journey I also realized that there is a difference between being active and volunteering and advocating for public policy and actually being in a position to make public public policy. So I feel like that if I'm going to be out here and I'm going to be working, I need to put myself in a position where I can actually uh, make public policy instead of just advocating for public policy. And that makes sense. You spoke about having lively discussions with your husband. Are there any specific issues that you found within your community that you wanted to change? You know, um, it was interesting because I was always, um, I was very active with young teen mothers. I was, um, you know, I, I worked within um, my, my kids' school systems. Um, I actually always had a real zeal for what we could do to impact the youth in our community. I, uh, along with a friend of mine, uh, established a Girl Scout troop before my kids were even old enough to participate. Um, and I just always felt like I needed to do something to make an impact in that, in that arena. Uh, and then once I started my um, you know, work career, I became involved with the healthcare system and then started to really look at what kind of impact I could make with regard to addressing um, health disparities. Thank you for sharing that. That's so important. That leads us right into our next uh, question. You know, you were involved in the community, you saw need and you went and met it. Um, what are some other maybe um, obstacles that you had to face while you were initially joining politics or entering the political arena? Um, and then were there any that you continue to compa uh, face right now, whether they be the same obstacles from the beginning or um, new ones that have presented themselves? You know, I think that there are always, there are always obstacles and there will continue to be obstacles no matter how far you uh, come along in your journey. So I see my job is to turn those obstacles into stepping stones. Um, as an African-American and especially an African-American woman, people always tend to underestimate your worth and never see you in a leadership role. They always see you as the good soldier doing the work, but never the general leading the army. 
So, you know, your, your tone and your mannerisms are always under a microscope and there's always, you know, people always tend to keep a list of all the times that you came up short, but not so much with the list of your accomplishments and how you were able to move the ball. And, um, you know, we see that often. I know that um, I was uh, doing a, a meeting of the Sangamon County Party Central Committee, and I was and I was really upset about something. But I I wasn't whiny or I wasn't yelling or screaming. I was just what if a man said the same things I said, they would say that he was he was a good leader. He was making a strong point, and he was you know um, pulling people together. But I got so many calls from people saying, you know, you really need to watch your tone. People really felt like you were screaming at them. And and that's unfortunate. But, you know, that's kind of the world that that we live in. But, um, you know, you can't back down. You can't change who you are. And that's where a really strong sense of self-worth and self-confidence always comes to your rescue and lets you know you know, to keep going. I, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, during my career in life, I've run into a lot of obstacles, a lot of things, you know, thrown in my way. And I, and I really feel like a, a less, a less strong person would just be in a ball somewhere. And I know that oftentimes when, when people see me, they're like, wow, why is, you know, how can she be smiling? How can she be walking around, you know, looking the way she looks? But, you know, that's the key. Never let them see you sweat. You know, you just always have to walk around with your head held high and knowing that you're on a mission and no one's going to deter you from your mission. That's interesting you say that. I think it's often said that um, African-American people, especially Black women have to work twice as hard in order to have the same success as their counterparts. Is that something that you also agree with as well? Uh, it, most definitely. You will not know how many times I've been in, in a meeting or during city council or previously during county board. And I would make what I felt was a very cogent point uh, and really speak to what needs to happen and lay out a perfect you know, timeline and it'll be quiet. And then a male, white male would come along and say the exact same thing that I just said. And then it's like, oh, my God, that was so great. That was so I'm like, well, dog, didn't I just say that? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, that that really happens a lot. And you just really have to not let it. You know, I, I really think that oftentimes people will do and say things to try to discourage you to try to push you back and you just have to always know, Hey, this is just one more thing that I have to walk over to get to where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go. That, you know, the other thing that we as black women have to always do. And, um, and I'm quite sure that may will agree with this in, in her career path is that you always have to memorialize your thoughts And, and because people will, people will really take your work and try to diminish you and, and the work that you put in. So you always have to own your work and make sure that you don't allow anybody to take that from you. I agree. 
And going into more of what we face as a community, what were your initial thoughts about everything going on across the country in regards to the recent murder of George Floyd, as well as the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole? You know, I, I believe that we are at a tipping point in our society where the status quo is no longer acceptable. And there's a desperate need for real structural and transformational change throughout our governing systems. Uh, what we saw over the last few weeks and continue to see is a loud cr outcry of generational pain. And it's a response to the continuing injustices perpetrated upon those least able to defend themselves. But I think it also provides us with an opportunity for real community redress and partnerships where individuals feel they have an ongoing voice that really means something and will have a, a lasting impact. You know, the, the ugly truth of racial injustice has been with us for centuries. Um, however, the difference is that it is now played out every day on our television screens. We have cell phone videos that we see things in real time. And as we are seeing the, the protesters uh, and people, you know, taking to the streets to demand change, we also can't help but see the, um, the looters and the, the bad actors. But the one thing that I, I keep trying to impress upon everyone is that we cannot allow the bad actors to distract us from the cause of the anger and mistrust of our governmental systems, including law enforcement. Um, you know, we are, this, we are witnessing the symptom of years of racist acts and homicides, and, uh, and we're at a, a point where we just can't say that we can no longer go along to get along, and we cannot allow anyone or, or anything to, you know, uh, change us from that mission. And, you know, I do want to say that I am really impressed that a lot of the protests that we're seeing, especially throughout Illinois, have been very multicultural and multi-generational and, and, and youth-led. Um, and, you know, when you see people protesting in places like Anna, Illinois, and my husband is from Southern Illinois, and we all know what the acronym Anna stands for. And when you see people taking to the streets in Morton, Illinois, and, you know, uh, several years ago, a Springfield High School basketball team was playing in Peoria and they stopped in Morton, which is a, a, just a few miles outside of Peoria at a McDonald's. And there were African-American boys on the, on the city, on the school bus. And, uh, you know, white people surrounded their bus and, and, you know, demanded that they leave town. And, and when you, you know, so when you see places like that, where people are taking to the streets, then you know that there's, a need for a change and that change is coming. You, you know that change is, is coming. And in Springfield, um, there, there was a 3,000 car uh, parade that was organized by Black Lives Matter Springfield chapter. And so when you talk about 3,000 cars, that's 10,000 people or more that participated in that protest. And then on the next day, there was a 1,500 uh, plus person uh, protest at the uh, Abraham Lincoln statue on the state capitol lawn. And that protest was led by three high school students. So 
that lets me know that change is coming and our youth are involved, which I think is a wonderful thing because, um, you know, we need our youth to be involved. We need them to be leaders at this time in our history. And they are definitely stepping up and I can't be more happy about that. Definitely. And, you know, so many youth leaders um, organize and learn how to organize from the people that they have in their lives who have brought them to understand um, past movements and taught them their history. So uh, what do you think? And we often look up to people like you who are in those elected roles um, to provide those understandings um, and what you have done. So what what do you feel like your role has been or will evolve into during this time? You know, I. I really feel like I have a dual responsibility. I feel like I have a responsibility to speak up and out very loudly and very boldly and give voice to those who are unable to speak. Uh, Because at this point in our history, we cannot tolerate silence from anyone and most especially not from our elected officials. Um, You know, I, I, I have said this during city council meetings. I've said it when I've spoken at protests that, silence, to me, silence means that you agree with the atrocities that are happening. I can't, I can't hear it when people say, you know, I'm just listening. I'm, you know, I'm trying to see what's going on that. No, silence means that you agree. So, um, you know, that's my responsibility is to be that bold, loud voice and to basically call out those who are in leadership positions, who are not. And and when I say call out those, I'm talking about some African-Americans as well as others, um, because mm-hmm. everybody needs to be, uh, everybody needs to be held accountable. And so I have that responsibility, but at some point, the protests and the rallies will end. We can't continue to march forever. So I feel like that, I also have a responsibility to ensure that the issues that are being raised are not lost and become um, enshrined throughout our governing systems. In Springfield, I am in the process of reviewing and evaluating multiple systems that will lead to a package of reforms that will include ordinances as well as policy reforms that will impact law enforcement, boards and commissions, and community investment. And oftentimes we hear the term community reinvestment, but I always say community investment because I don't feel like that our communities have seen um, real investment. So so I'm uh, I'm working on that, but as I walk through that process, I'm also conducting a listening tour because I don't want to, I know that I don't know everything and I know that I have one viewpoint, but I know that there are others that have, uh, that have views and have ideas. So I'm doing a, a short listening tour to also marshal those ideas as we uh, move to put together, um, you know, this, this package. But I'm also working with other local, state, and federal elected officials to ensure changes occurring throughout all levels of our government. I had the opportunity to um, put together a, 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 a small meeting with um, Senator Durbin 
with uh, some representatives of Black Lives Matters uh, and some other local uh, individuals, as well as some of the youth that led our protests and uh, had an opportunity for him to hear from them and us to hear what he's looking at doing at the federal level. I also did the same thing with Governor Pritzker and um, our state senator, Andy Menard. So it's important that we have access to our to um, those individuals that are in those positions because, um, you know, they have an obligation to us, but we also have an obligation to them. We can't we can't expect people to act on our behalf if we're not part of engaging with them. So that was a uh you know, I felt like that was a real good opportunity for not only uh, me and my community, but also for them, for them as well. Question is like, how do you, how do you plan to make and influence public policy to stamp out the ongoing issues of police brutality and violence? So, um, you know, as I stated, I, I, I really feel like the package that will, that will be put together will go a long way to do that. I think that it will. I think that it will put some things in place that we will be able to, it won't be the end all be all, but it will definitely be, something more than what we have and it will be something that we can build on. Um, you know, we have um, some problems with law enforcement and a lot of that has to do with policies that, um, you know, that municipalities have and, and a lot of those definitely need to be changed. We have, uh, you know, boards and commissions that are setting policy for residents, and we have to ensure that those boards and commissions reflect the diversity of our communities, not only with regard to race, but with regard to, you know, age and economic uh, standing, geography within our community, um, education, educational uh, background, all of, all of those things. But then we also have to ensure that we are putting um, policies in, in place that will allow for the money that comes into our municipalities and into our state to go back into those uh, communities. That's, that's extremely important. And that's where not only my voice at the local level, but my relationships with state and federal officials will definitely be of, of benefit. Um, you know, and aside from that part of it, it's also important that um, we encourage others to be uh, that we encourage others to become involved in their community. We can't rely on our elected officials to do it all. We have to get others involved. We have to in, in, encourage them to. Uh, become more involved in their communities. We have to encourage them to get involved in, in the political process. We have to encourage them to get involved in the political process at the local level because, you know, all politics is local. But, um, you know, everybody talks about being, you know, well, I'm just the average everyday person. But 
the average everyday person doesn't really realize how much power that they actually have. And your vote is your power. Your spending uh, capacity is your power. So, you know, you can, I always say that I have a choice on where my expendable uh, income goes and I can choose where I want to spend my money. And, you know, there's a lot of power in that. If you don't like what, um, you know, something that's happening in your community, then change where you change where you're spending your money. Become active and 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 vote so that you will have a voice in what happens with that. And, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, I'm going to paraphrase paraphrase what President Obama said. Pick up a clipboard and run for office. You know, everybody, there's nothing magical about being an elected official. Every elected official was just an average Joe that, you know, gets up every morning and goes about their business that decided to pick up a clipboard, get a petition filled out and run for office. Thank you. I don't know if Cameron wants to ask a follow-up, but um, we can go to our next one, which is, you know, that kind of slides into the next um, question about what can everyday people do on the uh, to get involved and to, to have change and have affecting uh, lasting change in their communities. So I think, um, you know, a lot of a lot of what I just said is very is really applicable to that. But, um, I, you know, people oftentimes underestimate themselves and they underestimate the power that they do have to make change in their in their community. Um, you know, I think that we have to be we have to be very bold in our ask We when we see something that we want for our community, something that our community needs. We have to be very bold and ask for that. Um, you know, you might, you may not always get the answer that you're looking for, but it does put people on notice that you are, that you are paying attention, that you are active and you're not going to stop asking until you get the answer that, you know, that you want. And, um, you know, when you're talking about working with municipalities and, and elected officials on the local state and federal level, all of those people are elected because they people voted for them and they have a responsibility to the people that voted for them and you know we have to hold them accountable and 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 hold their hold their feet to the fire and not let them just show up on around election time not let them just show up at at the church service and come and and speak and then leave we have to, you know, we have to hold them accountable to be a part of the community that they want to, um, you know, represent. Because it's a, it's a partnership. I don't want, I don't want my mayor, I don't want my alderman, I don't want my governor, I don't want my state senator to do anything for me or for my community. I want them to do things with my community. Because we know what we need and I want them to work with us. I don't want them to do anything for us. Great. Um, and 
that's so important for people as they're moving around um, and trying to get involved in these spaces um, because they're so difficult to navigate sometimes. Um, what advice do you give to any Black women or young Black girls out there who are looking to follow in your footsteps and get involved in politics? You know, I think that you, you always have to dream big. You know, I never aspired to be a county chair because I never saw anyone who looked like me be a county chair. Um, I always watched, um, you know, national nominating conventions on television, but I never felt like that was a role that I could play. But I've been an elected delegate to three nominating conventions, uh, once for President Bill Clinton, once for Vice President Al Gore, and then again for uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton which I will say I'm still in a undocumented nervous breakdown about the, tw- <laughs> about the 2016 yeah. election, but that's okay. We're going to, we're going to straighten out that mess in November. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just have to um, dream big and, and know that anything that you want is within your grasp. There's a, there's a process mm-hmm. and um, you know, look to those uh, women and men in your community that can help you walk through walk through that process. Definitely. Um, and then you know, after today, what are your next steps um, as Autumn Moment? You mentioned the listening tour, and this is your last term. Are there any aspirations you have going forward? Uh, to you know, help black people in your ward, um, across the state or in our in our nation. Well, you know, um, I will always, even though this is my last term because of the term limits, I will always be involved in in my community. I, you know, I'm a lifelong Springfieldian. I love Springfield. I want Springfield to be the best that it can possibly be. So I will always stay involved uh, with my community. I um, have put some things in place and I hope uh, other other things before my term ends that will outlast me. Um, so one of the things that I was able to do is when we started video gaming in Springfield, I passed an ordinance that mandated all revenue from video gaming go into infrastructure. And you know, in um, uh, African-American communities, most of them, that's a real need infrastructure. That's how you build a community. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then with the recreational cannabis uh, legislation that was passed, I passed an ordinance that mandated a certain percentage of the uh, revenue from cannabis go into economic development within a specific area uh, that's predominantly African-American in Springfield. So, uh, you know, I won't be there always to make sure that that money is allocated appropriately. So, you know, I would definitely have eyes and ears to ensure that, you know, that those things continue to happen. And, you know, I always just want to continue being a a catalyst for change and building those coalitions that will get us across the finish line and also to help identify the, the next generation of leaders. Thank you. Um, May, do you want to, you know, see, have any, uh, remarks to help, uh, or to talk about Miss Turner a little more, 
and how people can get involved with Flourish and hoping to support her. This has been an amazing conversation with you, Doris. I have followed your career through the end of time. Uh, You have been the most engaging county chair, uh, elected official for all of us. In fact, whenever we share anything about you, it it has gone through the roof. And we are going to tip our hats to you for maintaining your position within the party for as long as you have which is a testament of being able to work across the aisles with Republicans and other Democrats, whether they're moderate or, but um, one thing I I did want to ask, and I'm not quite sure if we've asked it, but supporting black businesses and entrepreneurs. um, I know that has been a, um, a major area of involvement as of recent, along with of course, COVID-19 shutting down some of it. How have you been able to uh, continue to support uh, Black businesses and entrepreneurs, especially during this time? And you know, this, elected? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been a very difficult time for all of us, but most especially for those uh, Black businesses, because a lot of them, um, you know, they they were barely hanging on anyway. And then to have to just totally stop uh, doing business has been real rough. One of the one of the problems that uh, a lot of businesses, both but most especially black small businesses, face is that they don't really get a good flow of information. And so, one of the things that I did is that I did put together a uh, kind of a repository of information with regard to loans and and grants and other. Uh, information that was flowing from the federal government as well as from state government and put all of that in one place so that it would be easily accessible for our local black businesses. Um, and so they would not be shut out of any opportunities for benefit. The other thing that I was able to do is um, working with local, uh, working with other local businesses and community organizations we were able to provide about 5,000 free meals without any grant funding. And we did this working through our local black businesses. So we, so it was a twofold effort. We were able to provide, um, you know, feeding opportunities for our community, but we were also able to provide funding for our black businesses um, and giving them an avenue to continue to, um, you know, stay open and, and employ, uh, you know, and keep at least a skeleton crew employed. So we, and we were, we were able to do that. And um, that was, that has been extremely beneficial. And I'm also working with um, city government. We have put together a, a package of relief that will include uh, not only rental assistance and uh, a moratorium on uh, Springfield. On we own our own munis- we own our own power plant, so we have a moratorium on um, sh- on, on you know uh, shutoffs with regard to electricity and water, and also working with Ameren for um, for gas. But we also 
have uh, put in place a rental assistance program where we will assist those individuals with paying with um, you know paying rent for people that were negatively impacted by COVID. But part of that relief package will also include um, uh, grants uh, for minority businesses, specifically small minority businesses. And then we have also put together a a pool of funding from local banks that will be a very, very low interest loan program for our uh, micro businesses. And one of the things that I especially wanted to do when we put together that package, what I had heard from a lot of our minority small businesses was that they were shut out of the federal response because of certain uh, parameters around their businesses. They hadn't been in business long enough and that kind of thing. So I took every, all of the obstacles that I heard from those businesses and made sure that they were not included in the package that the city was putting together. So, um, so it's not gonna, I mean, it's not going to be a panacea and not, restore everyone to where they were pre-COVID, but at least it will provide some relief, um, you know, for those businesses. That's amazing. Uh, Doris, we thank you for your time and we want to acknowledge our Springfield icon, the iconic (laughs) Alder woman, uh, the first African-American woman to be elected chairman of the Sangamon County Democratic Party. We want to salute you and we thank you for joining. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You know, um, like I said in the beginning, I have always been a big fan of yours, not only with what you're doing politically, which I think is so very, very, very important, but also, um, you know, being a real trailblazer in your uh, professional life as well. And, you know, when, uh, when you first started talking about Flourish Pack, I was Mm -hmm. just, I was just, like wow is she really going to do that that's going to be great and and hey you really did it so hey it's really great (laughs) this is awesome (laughs) I am just elated to talk to you and I appreciate the accolades and all of that Uh, if you want to follow Doris Turner on Twitter it's at vote for Doris Um, And at this time, we, of course, we're going to ask for donations. If you enjoy this podcast and you enjoy the work that Flourish Pack is doing on a national and local level, please feel free to go to our website at flourishpack.org forward slash donate. Thank you.